Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. As we're looking at the kingdom, as we're looking at the character of the kingdom and how the kingdom of God operates and what that means for us as we are believers and and citizens of this kingdom and that there is a kingdom that is coming, the perfect kingdom of God that will restore everything to what it was meant to be. But in the meantime, it still has authority, it just can't be seen. It has to be relied on in faith. And we operate differently because we're citizens ultimately of that kingdom. And so uh, in Matthew 13, 31, Jesus says this. He goes, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it, it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So here he is giving a... a, a a parable saying, this is what God's kingdom is like. In case you're curious, in case you're wondering in your mind, what is the kingdom of God like? He goes, well, this is what it's like. And he gives this parable about a very tiny mustard seed growing into a massive tree, bigger than any of the herbs, so big that birds begin to nest in it. Now, I just want to get this out of the way because there are two different kind of viewpoints of what Jesus is talking about here. The minority viewpoint is that This parable is about the corruption within the kingdom because birds always represented evil and sin, especially in the Old Testament. They were used as, it was a symbol for sin, symbol for evil. So some say, well, this is about false prophets and those who do evil within the church, that are in the church in disguise, sheep, uh, wolves in sheep clothing. But um, I I don't agree with that. I'm actually with the majority that this is really about um, God... (laughs) growing his kingdom through very humble beginnings, through seemingly insignificant people, that God uses the smallest of things to do the biggest of things, and that actually the birds represent the Gentiles that would be brought into the kingdom because through the eyes of the Jew, you know, the Gentiles were filthy. They were, <laughs> they were evil. They were not to be considered. So For Jesus to say that the kingdom would expand and incorporate all of the world, all Gentiles, and provide a place for them to rest and to be, this is what I believe Jesus was um, instructing us in, in terms of what the kingdom of God is like. So, with that, what does that mean for us like now? Okay, What, what is Jesus saying? Well, first of all, Jesus is talking, I, mean, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a present application for him at that time and then also for us, that Jesus in the kingdom of God was very much started, right? Humble beginnings. That Jesus, you know, he had a handful of followers, none that you would actually probably choose on your own if you're thinking about starting a kingdom, <laughs> Right? You know, Jesus himself wasn't anyone that stood apart from anybody else. There was nothing significant about him and his ragtag group of disciples 
that would say, wow, I want to be a part of that. Let's conquer. Right? No. Well, look at Isaiah 53.1. He goes, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So speaking of Jesus, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. There's a king! <laughs> right? But again, this is the MO of God's kingdom. It's about God and his ability, his power. And he chooses to work through us. And he worked, obviously, Jesus came down to earth to instruct us on the kingdom, to walk perfectly, to demonstrate the kingdom, to demonstrate the heart of God. But yet, even when he was crucified, it wasn't like the whole world knew about it. It still started with a small group of men and women who saw him resurrected, right? But we didn't have social media back then. We didn't have all the things that we had back then. It wasn't like all of a sudden this kingdom of God exploded. It was still not really noticed by most of the world. But yet, look where it is today. See, God worked through seemingly insignificant people. Seemingly. That's what we get to be a part of. And as believers, as citizens, you have to know that God's kingdom is always expanding. Okay? We have to realize, like, God's desire is that the kingdom continue to expand into all the world so that all can know the hope of Jesus but that the kingdom is still expanding. And we sometimes can forget that because the news we see can be very discouraging. Is like, is it? Is it expanding? Yes. Darkness is going to do everything it can to stop it. But it doesn't mean that God is like, all right, just chill. I'm done expanding. He's going to keep expanding until that last moment when that last person accepts Jesus and he says, now is the time. But guess who's a part of the expansion? Yeah, not just old Russ up here. I hope not. It's all of us. But this is how God has always been. Do you know that Judaism began in a very like, powerful way because he used very improbable circumstances to accomplish it? Okay, okay. Um, have you heard that you know, God made a covenant with Abraham? It's like you're, you know, your ancestors or your... Your offspring and your family will be more numerous than the stars of the Milky Way. See, he made a promise with a man that was, like, really old. And whose wife was really old. And who had no children. Genesis 17. When Abraham was, what's that? That wasn't like an Old Testament 99, like somehow that was like today's 30. No, it was 99. 
Okay. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am what? How did he introduce himself? Okay. He, this is his, God's like, before you start laughing or doubting, just know I am the almighty God capable of all things. So just listen. Okay. And walk before, walk before me and be blameless. And he goes, I will make my covenant between me and you. And who's doing the multiplying? And will, God is, multiply you, what? Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Ninety-nine and no child. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Who? I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Wow! But imagine if you were 99 with a... 90-year-old wife with no child. You might be like, yeah, cool. Can't happen. That ship has sailed. I'm going to make my point here. Let's skip down to 15. Like God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And who will bless her? And also give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, and kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face in reverence. No, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I love the humanity of the Bible. Remember, who's he talking with? (laughs) And he's laughing. (laughs) It's like, dude, I'm 99. Maybe you forgot. Maybe it's the wrong Abram. And God's like, oh, my, sorry. (laughs) There he is. The young Abram's over there. Yeah. (laughs) Abraham says, I'm too old. God says, I'm not. My wife's too old. Well, I'm not. Talk about insignificant, improbable. But yet, this is how God begins the kingdom on earth. This is how his nation was born, through the improbable, through someone. Yes, God chose him for faith and how he walked, but yet this one was a little much. But again, whose plan is it? 
Whose plan is it? Whose plans was this? Right. He just needed Abraham to be obedient and to trust. How am I and my wife going to do this? How in the world? This is impossible. Please choose somebody else. But see, this is how God begins to work. You want to talk expansion. Expansion happens through people that understand who they serve is bigger than what they can accomplish on their own. But you have to know that you're part of the plan. You're part of the expansion. God is a God of multiplication. You know that? We often look at ourselves in terms of, oh, man, this is all I can do. This is all I can do. Oh, I've done this, and I've done this, and I can't, and me, and me, and me, and me. And yet, so we keep this mentality, and yet I think at some level we, we have deafened our ears to this call because we see ourselves through the eyes of insecurity or limitation. All right, let's go to the book of Gideon. It's Judges. I actually put Gideon when I sent <laughs> Janelle the verses. She, this morning, she's like, uh, can I ask you a question? Where's the book of Gideon? <laughs> it's in Judges. Thank you for pointing that out. So anyway, Judges 4, 11, 6. You understand, right? Okay, I got... (laughs) So Gideon, Gideon 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and said... I said that on purpose. Under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Jehoash, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, what does he say? One more time. The Lord is with you. That's the game changer. Okay, this, this changes everything in the moment. This isn't some just random guy. This isn't his brother. This isn't his friend. This is the Lord dictating this conversation, whose understanding is far beyond anything Gideon could possess. And what does he say? You mighty man of what? The Lord comes to him, introduces him, the Lord is with you. And he says, you mighty man of valor. But yet what Gideon believes about himself is, no, I am not. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying that the Lord... Not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Amidianites because, yes, they were very oppressed, but we're going to just continue because what Gideon's response is is so much of us because the Lord turned to him and said, go, go in this might of yours, (laughs) and you shall Save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have, what's he say? Have who? Have I not sent you? It's not the brother. It's not the dad. It's not a friend. It's it's like, who is sending him? God himself. God sees him 
through his own eyes, he sees him as one once obedient will be able to do the things God has ordained because God is accomplishing it through his obedience. Now watch what he says. So he said to him, oh, Lord, <laughs> how can I save Israel? <laughs> Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You've got to pick a better soldier. Clearly, I'm not the right guy. Clan is the weakest. And man, I am the least significant person in my family. And the Lord said to him, what? Surely, what? I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as what? This is, that's crazy talk. He didn't say defeat them, but as one man, as the one leading this army that is reduced to 300, and all they bring is some pots and pans. And God defeats this army of 100,000. But again, was he the right choice if we are going by our standards? No. This wasn't just for him. This was for Israel. This was for the kingdom. God was able to deliver his people from the Midianites through the obedience of Gideon, the least likely choice. But again, this is how God works. He worked this way with his own son. So why would he change? 1 Samuel 16, 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him because he is there to anoint the next king of Israel. But the Lord, let's watch this. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at what? His appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Wow, I love that. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? Do you believe God can utilize you for his will and his plans despite you? We lost a lot on that one. <laughs> yes. Chose David who wasn't even part of the lineup because he was a little shepherd boy playing with the sheep. I'm not playing with him, but watch Psalm 78, 70. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfold, from following the ewes that had young he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he, David, shepherded them according to the integrity of his what? And guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So, am I making, like, I'm kind of reading the same story over and over again. It's just different people. Do you think God has changed? Just look at who the disciples were. Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, was a murderer, right? Paul 
was not your likely candidate at first because why? He didn't believe. And he did some bad stuff. But yet he became great through humility as he submitted to the will of God, right? And endured what we could never imagine. But see, God worked through Paul, right? Can God work through you? You have to, there has to be an understanding that when we're part of the kingdom, we are part of the expansion. Now, that's going to look different for each of us, right? But God has placed us here to be a city on the hill, right? To not hide the light so that people can be drawn and begin to understand and begin to know. Now, what happens a lot of times is insecurities get in the way of that. Maybe we don't, maybe we don't even pray for that because we just feel like we are so unqualified, right? We disqualify ourselves. We disqualify ourselves. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm qualified in you, but we see ourselves as small and insignificant, and therefore, we're not even kind of open to like maybe what God wants to do. We're kind of like this. God has placed you here for good works. It's promised, right? But we feel we're too small. But see, with God, like he sees you different. You may seem small, but this is how, I have a weird mind. This is how I think we look. (laughs) with God on our side. I mean, if that car didn't have an engine and said, you're going to go win a drag race, Russ, and I'm like, with this, yeah, this thing, this thing, I could pick this thing up with one hand. Looks like a roller skate. But see, what God sees is himself, right? He's the power. It's his plan. All he needs is for us to be willing participants who would dare hear from him and say, all right, Lord, I believe you're putting this on my heart. And based on your truth and based on what you say, I'm going to do it, even though I feel like I'm going to fall on my face and fail miserably. I am trusting you. That's how you begin to understand experience the work and power of God working through you is when you don't feel qualified. You just feel the call. You feel a tug. You just you, you obey the command to expand and you begin to see possibilities and circumstances in your life that, oh, maybe, maybe this is an opportunity. But see, if you still think it's about you, you're going to pass on a lot of opportunities because then you're worrying about, well, if they say, what if they say, what if they say this? And what if they, I don't have the answers for that. Oh, I, can't, I don't have Russ's text. So I don't know. I can't like, text him and say, give me the answer to this. I don't know. I'm all alone out here, right? Guess who's with you? He was with Gideon. He was with Gideon. But again, it's an ownership of your citizenship. Because we're not qualified to be a citizen anyway, (laughs) right? The only reason we're qualified is because of the blood of Jesus. It's why our strength is grace. Grace keeps us humble. Grace keeps us aware of, yes, my sin and who I am is, is, is before me, but yet God says it is forgotten, it is forgiven. So come and I will lead and I will be and I will utilize your life and your faith and everything I've made you to be through your obedience. See, it's about, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. God saw the heart in these individuals. And it doesn't mean they didn't have doubts but they didn't get stuck in their doubt. 
I mean, even Gideon was throwing out fleeces and saying, all right, one more time, you know, one more time, all right, okay, I just want to make sure, sorry, Lord, but I just want to test you, you know, and God's like, okay, wet, dry, wet, dry, anything else? Okay, you're going. (laughs) But as Ruth was sharing, they experienced the power of God's truth through their obedience. Did those situations where they just perfectly like, it's going to be all right. No, you get a little like, what are you going to do? Wasn't expecting this. But again, God is before you. He's before you. Some of us like to have all the answers before we move. Apparently, God doesn't totally work that way because so much of our life is about trust and faith, right? See, I'm going to read this again, what we read for our communion time. Galatians 2.20 goes, I have been crucified with Christ. Now watch this. It is no longer I who live. This doesn't make any sense. I'm alive. (laughs) Yeah. But how do we live? We live through decisions. We live through our heart. We live through perception. We live through experience. We live through our understanding. We live through our gifts, and we live through our weaknesses. See, we live in a way that puts us first, and then it dictates decision and movement, right? He's like, no, 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 that thing got crucified. (laughs) Now, but Christ, what lives in me? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I do not set aside the grace of God because if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. He's saying, I need grace. For those that were trying to come back under the law to achieve righteousness, he's like, it was never meant for you to achieve righteousness. It was meant for you to see that his standard will always be so far beyond what you could accomplish that you need grace. And when you know you've been forgiven, you have the confidence of knowing that God is with you because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Grace is what says, continue to move. When we disqualify, it qualifies, right? When it disqualifies, it qualifies. So you need to qualify yourself in Jesus. And some of you, I really know, might be still hanging on to past mistakes and somehow it's warped your understanding of how to live as a follower of Jesus. And your faith will grow massively when you begin to trust this and begin to take steps where you feel you're not qualified and then you understand as God works through you that he loves me. I am forgiven. And he just worked through my words. Thank you, Jesus. If it wasn't by grace, I, I couldn't even have the hope of exercising obedience. Thank you, Lord. It's all around us, you all. Do you know that? And it's specific to you. But know that we are ambassadors and we are those that through our lives will begin to help expand the kingdom. And that expansion comes at God's will. You may be just a seed planter, right? Some of you might be waterers or some of you might be harvesters. We don't know, but we have to be available and ready, right? We have to see as God would see.
Because his desire is that all would be saved. And like we talked about like last week, we want to be caught like doing that work, right? We want to be, why? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And it's what we want to do. It's what we desire to do. And we know how important it is. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of who? Who? (laughs) The collective I, (laughs) me. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That what the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So how does the life of Jesus become alive through our death to insecurity and doubt in our own sense of qualification? And when we put that aside and begin to do as God leads, he becomes more. Who wants Jesus, like the Spirit, just to be, just a sense that there's a more, God's more alive. We'll just put it this way. Just a sense that God is more alive to you. You know he's alive, but when you experience that life, it's like, yes, let's move. I'm going to keep going. Sometimes it just comes at, it just comes by being obedient to understand that God does not see me <laughs> as I see myself. And that's why I would, one of these days, like my dad can find it, I want to show you the video of my, one of my speeches in college. <laughs> then you'd be like, God is real. <laughs> <laughs> but this is my heart. You know, this is my heart for me, my fa- all of us. This is that you would begin to believe at a whole nother level that you serve the almighty God, that you are qualified in him, that Jesus lives in you through the Holy Spirit, and that if he has a plan, he already knows what needs to be done. But he wants you as the vessel, right? And that can come sometimes where you're just like, I'm you know, tired, or I'm this, or... On that, maybe someone else who has more of this can do that. It's like, no, if you feel, it's like you're the one he has chosen for this. And he will supply what is needed because it's his plan. It's his plan. He's not surprised by anything about your, there's no surprise when it comes to you. But yet he sees you and he sees his plan as the one who is operating in obedience so he could work through right? Because this is how God reveals himself to the world through his church as we go out, as we go out. You're qualified. Qualified. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Help each of us, Lord. Help each of us leave with what it is that you would need us to leave with and that you are with us, Lord. Lord, give each of us a new sense that it is not about us. It's about our heart And Lord, we are participating in your plan. We're not making it. Lord, I would pray for a new sense of expectation and desire to see the world as you see it. That we'd break out of 
routine faith and have it be a lifestyle, Lord, where we are here as co-workers with you, expanding your kingdom through obedience, demonstrating to the world who you really are, a righteous, holy God who is full of love and mercy. But Lord, today, collectively, we give you praise. We give you honor. We submit to you and say, again, you are worthy of our lives. Jesus, we are a living sacrifice being transformed into a mindset that says, have your way, Lord, have your way. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.